Thanks, uh, Mr. Pegg. Thanks, Keith. I'm not in high school anymore. <laughs> uh, all right, good day, everyone. I'm Punchy, I'm one of the ministers here. I might pray for us and then we'll get into this. Heavenly Father, thanks so much for this time. Thanks for church. Thanks for the freedom, the privilege it is to be able to gather here together. And um, Lord, we just pray that you capture our minds and hearts right now. Lord, whatever we've been through today or the past week, we pray that you'd remove distractions, that we would hear from you. Lord, fill me and each one of us with your Holy Spirit. We long to hear your voice. We want to know you better. We want to know ourselves better. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight, as you know, we're starting a new series by design. And as we heard in the video, this series and this term, it is going to be an opportunity for us to hear what the God who designed us has to say about who we are, about what it means for us to be men and what it means for us to be women, and about how we are to relate to one another. And since I've been on staff here at Menai Anglican, this series has been one that the staff has worked on and talked about probably more than any other, I think. And that's because what we're going to look at is highly complex and it's fiercely controversial in our, our culture today, but more than anything else, it is deeply personal. Right? We might like to debate and argue about these topics as if they're abstract philosophical ideas that exist out there, but ultimately they concern us right here, because this is understanding who I am, my identity. And that is deeply personal. Well, one of the biggest movies these holidays was The Lion King. And um, it got mixed reviews, and it always was going to, because, well, it's personal when it comes to The Lion King. Because for so many of us, that was our childhood, the songs, the scenes. What new dad hasn't lifted up his son, Luke, like Mufasa, lifts up Simba on Pride Rock? <laughs> There's Jed having his Simba moment. And we love uh, the Lion King, we love the, you know, Simba's time off in the wilderness with Timon and Pumbaa growing up, having fun, Hakuna Matata. But at the same time, deep down, we want to see Simba return home, don't we, and take his rightful place and be who he truly is. And early in the movie, Simba sings that song, I Just Can't Wait to Be King. And in the song, he's singing all about how when he's going to be king, how he's going to do it. And after every line, Zazu, which is that... What, animal? What, what kind of animal? Bird? I know it's a bird, but... Anyway, Zazu, he's like the, I don't know, the royal advisor. And after every line, Simba, Zazu corrects him and keeps pulling him back in line and making him conform to the expectations of king. But Simba sings, no one's saying do this, no one's saying be there, no one's saying stop that, no one's saying see here. Free to run around all day. Do you know the next line? Free to do it all my way. There you go. We got there. And, it, you know, it's no wonder that it was such a popular movie back then and so popular today because so much of that, the, the, the words of that song echo the cry of our hearts, doesn't it? No one to tell me do this or be there, free to do it all my way. Well, we're living in a unique moment in history. I think we're more and more people turning the back on tradition and expectations 
to take hold of their inner desires. And we're embracing this new cultural narrative that's marked by fierce individualism, free self-expression, and what we call authenticity. So whether you identify as a man, whether you identify as a woman, whether you want sex with a man, whether you want sex with a woman, whether you want sex with both, whether you're single, looking to be married, whether you're married, looking to be single, what's important in our culture, the highest virtue, is that you are true to yourself. You listen to your own voice, you follow your own heart, which is why our cultures uh, tolerate anything and everything except intolerance. You can do what you want, be what you want, act however you want, as long as you don't deny my rights to be true to myself. In the words of Bon Jovi, it's my life. In the words of Kanye West, can't tell me nothing. And in the words of Lady Gaga, I was born this way. That's where it's at at the moment. And all of this raises the critical question, how do I know who I really am? How do I know what my identity is? Is it what I feel? Is it who I hang out with? Is it something to do with my body? Is it something to do with my sexual desires? How do I know? These are big questions, questions being asked in our culture, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our homes. And so we've got this great opportunity, this term, to to speak about these things and explore them together and hear from the God who created us by design with beauty and glory in mind. And as we do, we're also going to hear from some experts during the week. We're going to have some talks on gender fluidity, sexuality, and pornography. So keep your eye out out for them. And I want to encourage us, as we approach this series, to come towards it with some openness and a willingness maybe to hear some things that are different to what we thought Uh, approach it with a willingness to be challenged on our views and even changed. I've had to do that in my preparation, as I think it'd be great for us as a church to see this as an opportunity together to think deeply about these things, discuss them sensitively, but ultimately listen carefully to what God has to say on these important topics. And to introduce where we're heading, we begin tonight in Genesis 1. And the first chapter, the Bible, we're going to draw out three observations. We start to build this picture of who we are and what it means to be uh, made in the image of God. So first, we're going to touch on our Creator, who He is. Then second, what it means to be created in His image. And then finally, that it is a broken image restored. So first, our Creator. And the opening words of the Bible, we know them well. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. So notice here, the Bible doesn't begin with a man and a woman. It begins with God, which we tend to overlook, but it makes sense to start there, doesn't it? Because if we want to understand who we are, we need to understand the one who created us. And in just the first chapter of the Bible, there is so much that we can learn about our God. For one, it is just incredible how he Easily he creates, he simply speaks everything into existence. There's a profound sense of power and control compared to maybe ancient mythology, which pictures 
God's at war and lightning and thunder, and out of that warring chaos, everything comes into existence, which is not too far different from the Big Bang, where from nothing, random molecules come together and explosion of existence comes together. But here in the Bible, we meet a, a great designer who is involved at every step of the way. There is a rhythm, we heard it in the reading, there's a control as he carefully crafts each part of his work. And he steps back at the end of each day saying, this is good. And that's not God patting himself on the back, that is God declaring over his creation, it is its inherent value and worth. Right? In the Bible, we see that we are more than an accident, but we, he created with purpose, he created with artistry and with colour and variety and wonder. And we see that when we drive down along the coast, we see that when we head up into the Blue Mountains, which a lot of us have just done, and we see that in the setting sun. And we see that in each other. My sister just had a baby. Uh, this is little Freddie. It's a very exciting time for us. It's exciting time for anyone when a, a, the birth of a new child, a new human being, come into this world. It brings with it that sense of awe. You know, it's incredible, tiny little hands and feet, the soft skin, the baby smell, their inherent need for mum, dad, particularly in the middle of the night. And when you consider all of those complexities of the human body and the intricacies of the working of your mind and the depth of emotions of the heart, it really is beyond comprehension, isn't it? It's mind-blowing, this creation, and it all points to someone greater, a great designer. When you move through the creation account, he, God, he separates night and day, uh, land and sea, he then makes the plants and animals and then the man and woman, which begins with this curious phrase. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image. And up to this point, it'd be fair enough if you were to conclude that God is one, but then comes this. So who is this us that God's talking to? And this is a hint of something unique and amazing about the God of the Bible, it's revealed later on, and so spoiler alert, when he made the world, God, he was not alone. Right? In the Bible, we see that our God is one God who exists in three eternal and equal persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, which is significant because many religions, Judaism, Islam, believe in God, but Christianity confesses belief in a triune or Trinitarian God. That is, we believe in one God, three persons, Father, Spirit, Son. And that's so important for us because understanding this about God helps us understand ourselves. Because in God, we see a relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that is characterized by love and faithfulness, and loyalty, and trust, and perfect unity. We see that relationship in God, and it explains so much about our natural desires for love and relationship. But it also sets our God apart, in the sense that He didn't create us to be loved, or to find love, 
but he created us out of an overflow of his love, a perfect love that has existed for eternity past between Father, Spirit and Son, a perfect love that we were created to share in and enjoy forever. Right? It is incredible. And we've only just scratched the surface of this first chapter, but I hope you can see that the, that process of coming to understand who our God is, is also how we come to understand ourselves. Because as we now move on to the second observation, in verse 27, the creation of humanity. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Now, it's pretty obvious, but worth pointing out, when God made humanity, he didn't create us male and male, or female and female, but he created us male and female. And marking out that distinction is becoming increasingly unpopular, right? There, there are some working very hard to eliminate any distinction between man and woman in, when it comes to gender these days. And I think some of that definitely comes from a good place, because we don't want to live in a world where there are unhelpful stereotypes applied to men or women. We don't want women categorised as irrational, over-emotional, or to be in the kitchen, or defined by their body, their value. We don't want that. And we don't want men, uh, their masculinity measured by the car that they drive, or the job and how much money they make, or the size of their muscles. Right? We don't want those unhelpful stereotypes. But at the same time in the Bible, it is clear there's a difference between man and woman. And as our culture pushes towards sameness, the question we must ask is how will this ongoing erosion of gender distinction rob us of the contribution, the unique contribution of beauty and glory that women were created to bring and the unique contribution of beauty and glory that men were created to bring? Why did God make us male and female? It's an important question. Now, what is it about our maleness and what is it about our femaleness that is significant? And why is it that we as men and women, how is it that we as men and women are to complement one another for the common good? Right? These are big questions. We're going to be tackling them in the weeks to come. So make sure you're here. And I want to encourage you actually to bring someone because these aren't just questions that Christians are asking. These are big questions in our culture today. Tonight, what I'll be focusing on is what is true for all of us, whether male or female. We see here in God's Word that He made us all in His image and in His likeness. What does that mean? Well, if we backtrack a verse... Verse 25 in Genesis 1 says, God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. You notice the repetition there? Animals, livestock, creatures according to their kinds, according to their kinds. But in the very next verse after this one, God doesn't then make humanity according to their kind, but he makes humanity according to his kind. We were made according to his kind. You were created in his image. Humanity is set apart 
from the rest of creation to stand as a a living monument to represent God, his authority, his rule, to reflect his glory, to reflect his honour, to reflect his character. And you and I, we were created in his likeness. In his likeness. Let's think about the human body for a minute. In the Bible, it tells us that God sees and God hears and God speaks and God thinks and God feels. And so when God made us, well, he gave us eyes to see, ears to hear, a mind to think, a heart to feel, a body to move. Why? Because even our own bodies are to reflect his image and likeness. And he also gave us a unique responsibility over creation. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Why did God give us this authority? Well, again, because we as his image bearers, we are to uh, rule over the creation and that rule is to reflect that he is ultimately our ruler in ruling over us, ruling over us. It's interesting, I think, when you read through Genesis 1, refrain after refrain, God says, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was very good, until then you get to Genesis 2, and now something's not good. And God says, it is not good for the man to be alone. Not good for the man to be alone. Just as God himself enjoys that eternal union of Father, Spirit and Son, well, we too have been made to enjoy union, relationship with one another. And whilst it's important for men to have other men and women to have other women in their lives, what's significant here is that the answer to man's aloneness is the making of the woman. So Genesis 2 says, God, So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. We'll go into this in more detail in the coming weeks, but the image there, God creating woman from the side of man is a picture of how men and women are to do life together. The woman wasn't created, or the woman in the picture isn't behind the man, as some chauvinists might like to argue, and the woman isn't in front of the man, as some feminists might like to argue. But the image there is one of side by side, man and woman, of equal worth and dignity in the eyes of God, equally made in his image and in his likeness. Equal and yet different, but different by design, because that difference is fundamental in humanity, fulfilling God's purposes. We cannot be fruitful and multiply with just the woman. We cannot subdue the earth with just the man. God gives us a vision for humanity where the man is dependent upon the woman and the woman is dependent upon the man. 
It is a beautiful union that is intended to bring joy and satisfaction and the fulfillment of God's purposes for humanity. Now, do we see this celebrated in our world today? Sometimes. Not heaps, though. Often the cultural narrative when it comes to men and women, it's one of division and conflict and a fierce battle for independence and dominance. Right, we see that. There is something in our culture that pushes us to say, I'm a strong, independent woman. I'm a strong, independent man. I've got this. I don't need you. But when God made us, it, it's very clear. He made us for each other. It's like a ballroom dance. Not that I have any idea how to do that. But you watch them and the man and the woman, they each have their parts to play, but together they dance as one. And it's the same image. We as men and women are to move as one, each playing our part to the glory of God and the fulfilment of his purposes. I wonder how is it that you see men and women? If you're a man, how do you see women? If you're a woman, how do you see men? Who do you listen to on gender? What are the voices that form your views on men and women? Is it our culture? Is it our creator? Our creator made us male and female. Equally his, equally blessed, equally gifted with his image and likeness, of equal value and worth and significance and dependence upon one another in fulfilling God's purposes. And if that's true then when you're with another person, whether male or female, well, there really should be some small sense of reverence. This person was created in the image of God. They were made in His likeness, purpose to reflect His glory. Do you see that in others? Do you see that in yourself? I was, this week I was reading that 90% of Australian women sometimes skip social gatherings or cancel plans because of the way they feel about their body. Right, the, the pressures of social media, objectification of women by men, hurtful and degrading comments made online or spoken by those closest to us. It's not okay. And for men, it's the pressure to be a manly man or one of the boys and sometimes a little bit of banter can very quickly become bullying or shaming. I still remember some of the names and things I was called in high school. There's one particular nickname that I can't repeat, and I won't, because I hated it. Uh, it made me feel weak and pathetic and less than a man. And at times, it kind of dreaded school and would avoid certain people because I didn't want to hang out and hear that stuff. Right? And some would say, you know, it's part of growing up, it's just the way life is, but it's true, isn't it? All of us have heard things like that, and sometimes those words, particularly when they're about our identity, particularly when they're said with authority, when someone's looking you in the eye, they can burrow in deep and take root. And then in those moments of vulnerability, when you're under pressure, pressure, not living up to expectations, and when you're alone with your own thoughts, they, they then can bubble to the surface. You know, maybe I am a loser. 
Maybe I am worthless. Maybe I'm a waste. This is why we so desperately need God's word. We so desperately need to hear what God has to say about who we are. Because amidst all the noise and all the, the wounds over those wounds that we carry and the lies that we believe about ourselves, God says to us, you are not an accident, you're not a mistake, you are not a failure, you're not worthless, you're not a waste, you are mine. You are mine. You know, we, we can be our own worst enemies, can't we? The things that we say to ourselves, I'm too fat, too old, too ugly, I'm too stupid, I'm too used, I'm too broken, I'm too far gone. What if we stopped all of that, all of it, and simply said, I am who he says I am. I am who he says I am. I am made in his image. I am made in his likeness. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Imagine if we took hold of that truth today. Imagine if you were able to live in light of who he says you are every day. Imagine the transformation that would take place. You know, those words that are burrowed in deep, the lies that we believe about ourselves, the shame, the hurt, the insecurities, the brokenness, all replaced by the truth about who he says you are. Can you picture the transformation that that would bring? The sense of peace and security and the courage. And can you see how that would not only change how you see yourself, but it also would change how you see others and how you relate to them? You're no longer looking them up and down. You're seeing the image of God. Which brings us to our final point. It's a broken image restored because it's true, isn't it? We, we know that when it comes to our identity, we aren't who we want to be. We, we sense that brokenness in our world and in ourselves. We've experienced it, and it is a brokenness that traces its way all the way back to the first man and woman. We were made in his image and likeness to be his representatives, to reflect his glory, but we wanted that glory for ourselves. We wanted to rule on our own terms. We rejected God. We believed the serpent, Satan, and we were deceived, and we've been deceiving ourselves ever since. We don't listen to God. We don't accept his word. We listen to ourselves. We follow our feelings. We create our own image, define our own identity. And as good as humanity is, we make terrible gods. Globally and throughout history, we can see instead of peace, there's hostility. Instead of generosity, we fall into greed. Instead of love, we act in hate. Instead of respect, we live at odds with one another. And the Bible's word for all of that is sin. Sin is the reason our world no longer reflects God's beautiful design. And we'll look at this more in coming weeks, but it is sin that divides men and women. It's sin that prevents us from experiencing the relationship with God and each other that he intended. And it's sin that dehumanizes, disfigures us all. We were made in his image, but it's a broken image. The image is there, but it's been marred. We see beauty in humanity and within ourselves, but we also see the brokenness. 
We see the glory and majesty of God, but we are confronted by our own mess at the same time. And it's only when we recognise our futility and we finally acknowledge our need for a saviour who can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And that is the moment that light breaks through the darkness to begin to restore and redeem that beauty and glory that we were created for. In the beginning, God spoke everything into existence by his word. And in Jesus, that word became flesh, embracing humanity, revealing and reflecting the glory of God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. If we want to know what it means to be truly human, we need only look at Jesus. Because not only did he perfectly reflect and reveal the glory of God, but he also perfectly revealed and reflect the glory of humanity. A humanity that was, is in Jesus completely dependent upon God perfectly reflecting the love and justice and peace of God in the way that he related to others. And we see this most vividly on the cross, where Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, took on our sin so that in him we might become the men and women we were created to be. Because it's not just that Jesus offers us forgiveness of sin, but it's that he transforms our hearts and our minds he implants in us new desires, new hopes and dreams, new purposes. He implants in us that new identity. That broken and marred image of God is in Jesus restored and it is renewed and it is transformed with glory and beauty and wonder infused into our souls so that we might reflect and reveal God's glory that we would see God's glory in us and through us and that we would turn and praise him. Let me pray. Our Father, we praise you, our creator. We think about that creation account, Lord, and we see your power. We see your sovereignty. We see your, your hand involved at every step of the way. And then we come to the creation of, of us, humanity. And we, we, we thank you for the privilege, the honour you would choose to make us in your image, in your likeness. You would lift us up, giving us responsibility and authority that we would reflect your glory. And yet, Father, we confess that we wanted that glory for ourselves instead of ruling your way. We chose to rule our own way. We are sorry and we can see the effects of that in our world and in our own lives, in the relationships around us. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he came, that he was the perfect reflection, the radiance of your glory, that he lived out that human life as you intended and that in the end, he'd laid down his life to redeem us and restore us. That we might be once again the men and women you created us to be. Help us, Father, throughout this series 
to know and understand who we were created to be, understand our identity, our gender, our sexuality, how we're to relate with one another. Please form all of these views in accordance with your word. We thank you for the great truths, uh, the great comfort. Thank you that in Jesus we can be all that we were created to be. We pray that we'd live in light of that, we'd live in the power of your Holy Spirit and that we would be men and women who reflect and reveal your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.